Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall here with Luis Miguel Echegaray. How are you, my friend? Hey, bud. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, nice weekend. How was yours? It was good. It was good. Uh, it was uh, family time. When I say family, I mean wife. And when I cool. say wife, I've seen good times. Yeah, good times. How was your trip to the West Coast? It was good. Uh, I was out in LA for three days, uh, for the, mainly for the U.S. women's national team, qualifying for the Olympics on Friday night. They beat Mexico 4 nothing, beat Canada 3 nothing on Sunday to raise the trophy. Kristen Press, the golden ball winner... Managed. Making making a good case to potentially join that starting lineup. We'll talk a bit more about that later. But uh, I'm a huge fan of Latko Andonovsky's goal celebrations on the sideline. Two-fisted arms <laughs> fully into it. He's, he's a, he, I, I like him a lot. Um, he seems like a very pure individual. I hope we're not convinced otherwise at some point, but I don't think we will be. No, he's passionate. He, he's about it. He, he's he got the eye of the tiger. I can't wait till Tokyo because he's probably going to go insane there. <laughs> um, but yeah, lots of good stuff going on. Academy Awards. Um, I don't see as many movies as I used to. I used to see like 40 movies in the theater with my wife every year. And now, because it's so available at home, we just don't go to theaters very often. But we, recently we saw uh, Parasite. Parasite is excellent. Very happy that it won the, the yeah. Academy Award. Uh, yeah, me too. Very happy. Like you know, and you know, with you, I'm the same. Like we, we uh, you know, I'm a movie fiend, as you know. I used to be an actor and stuff. So like, movies are actually my first love. I love it. Uh, I was a little disheartened this year about the Oscars because there was so much lack of representation. Uh, but Parasite really made up for it, I think, in many ways. Uh, but yeah, it was great to see. Really good movie, and uh, yeah, very happy. Very happy for the whole team. Um. Kind of an interesting weekend in the soccer world in the sense that our lead is not England. Usually we lead with England, go to Europe, and then go to North America. England on a winter break uh, for the first time, and so not many games over there. Winter break, open parenthesis, S, close parenthesis. <laughs> it's, like, it's an alternate winter break, right? So it's, some teams get a, a break in the first week and then in the second week. You know, so it's not really a full, complete winter break, but I believe it's obviously because, you know, the advertising revenue needs to keep rolling. So you want to keep the matches going. But yes. And also the weather was awful in the UK. Uh, and in Germany. Yeah. And in Germany, basically all of the north of Europe mainly. And, uh, you know, which uh, meant uh, Man City and West Ham didn't happen. But we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about in this podcast? Let's run through it a little bit. We're going to go to Italy and 
Inter beating AC Milan to go top of the league. We're going to talk about Juventus losing again. Uh, Germany had a big weekend, big game. Leipzig getting a point at Bayern Munich. By the way, Tyler Adams is going to come on the podcast this week. I'm very Ooh. excited about having him. Um, and then Spain, we've got uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid winning again in the league, but going out in the Copa del Rey. Um and also, we'll talk about, uh, going back to Germany, Dortmund uh, is a lot of fun to watch, crazy games, but they lost again in a crazy game. And so that's why I don't think they're going to win the league. And Haaland didn't score. And he didn't score, man. What a failure. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, England, I, I do want to talk about Carlo Ancelotti and Everton. And then North America, we'll talk about the U.S. women's national team. I want to talk a little Rose Lavelle, Kristen Press, maybe Lynn Williams as well. Uh U.S. Soccer Federation, Jay Burhalter, big news, leaving the Federation will not become the CEO. Uh, MLS, big CBA deal reached, so there will not be a work stoppage. We'll get into that. And also, I reported last week that CBS will be getting the NWSL rights. And that's an interesting discussion because CBS never used to be into soccer. Now they really are. <laughs> uh, so let's start with Italy, where great rivalry game. Crazy game between AC Milan and Inter, which I guess Inter was technically the home team. Milan goes up 2-0 at halftime. Our old friends, Latin Ibrahimovic, getting a goal. And then it completely changed in the second half. What an insane game. <laughs> insane. I'm watching this and I'm like, this is incredible. I mean, there's, there's obviously an emotional, nostalgic uh, even if you're not a Milan or an Inter fan relationship with this derby, it's so historically, it just it resonates so much with, with the soccer world. And this just did not disappoint. This was unbelievable. AC Milan led to nothing at halftime, and I would love to be a fly in the wall in the dressing room to see what Antonio Conte <laughs> said at halftime because Inter Milan came out completely different. It wasn't that Inter was not playing disastrously in the first. It's just right. that AC Milan just hit them with everything that they had. Slatten had an assist and a goal. Um, and then and then almost, you know, six minutes after uh, the second half of the whistle, Inter Milan just scored. Uh, Brozovic scored a, a great goal. Yeah. Vecino with such a, really another good goal. And then Stefan De Vrij with like the most ultimate header I've ever seen. Yeah. And then Lukaku ends it up, and, and it's 4-2. It was such a good game that went back and forth. It brought me back the nostalgia of the 90s of Serie A. It, it had everything that, that we wanted from it. Our friend Matteo Bonetti did a really good job yeah. uh, for ESPN FC. New father. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Congrats uh, to Matteo. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just a, a, great, a great game. Yeah, I mean... I remember back in, I think it was 2007, I did a magazine story on Marco Materazzi, who, big Inter guy. And this was the year after he'd received the headbutt from Zidane. And in Materazzi, he'd become kind of this cult hero. And I remember watching video compilations on YouTube of Materazzi, mostly in games against AC Milan, just hacking the crap out of people, like crazy stuff. And you got a sense of how wild that rivalry was, especially in those days. Not that it's not a good rivalry anymore. It's a very good rivalry. But this game felt like a game from a decade ago between these teams. And partly because AC Milan isn't what it was, but the first half they were back. And you're just like, 
man, this is so much fun. It was just so good. And I love the fact that the ref allowed the game to reach its flow because it mm -hmm. could have and many times like you said the physicality that can maybe stop it but no and it was very even i mean i think it was inter milan 17 shots to ac milan 16 the pass accuracy was about even i think ac milan had more possession but it was just such a good duel and um it was you know milan since latin came there's obviously been this bolt of confidence but I think the formation has suited it. Like it, they're, they're playing kind of a classic 4-4-2. Four, four, uh, and in this specific game, Slatan reached the top and um, Shonaglu, like was just behind Ibra. Uh, I, I butcher his name every time. Yeah, yeah, I always butcher it. I, I, I apologize. But he was allowed to leave the midfield and also yeah. become more, more of, a, of an attacking number 10. And that really helped. But... Into like I said, I do. I really want to be in the dressing room with Antonio Conte and what he said. But the main reason, I think, the main thing that happened was that uh, Vecino and Brozovic like came up a little further, and Alexis Sanchez was really uh, useful in this game. And you know, Kristen Eriksson hitting the crossbar, and Ashley Young played well uh, towards the end. Diego Godin was bullied in the first half. He, he became a little bit stronger in the second. But yeah, what a game. What a game. I'll bet Conti got so angry. I would have worried about like his hair implants exploding <laughs> off his head at halftime. Just you know? like everything just stackled the walls. Like. Oh, man. <laughs> Good game. Excellent stuff. Now, Juventus loses its second out of three in the league. This one, uh, they were ahead. Ronaldo scored a goal. Uh, Hellas Verona at home comes from behind, wins two to one. I, I mean, Fabio Barini is like relevant again, um, and I, it's kind of crazy here. I thought Juventus a couple weeks ago was a, was set to pull away in this league. We talked about this, and here we are, and they're tied on points, Inter and Juventus, but Inter has a better goal difference, mm -hmm. and one point behind, just one point behind them is Lazio. Absolutely, it's. I mean. There's no way to go around it. It's a three-horse race right now. Yeah. And um, yes, I, I still think Juventus will come on top, but... Why? I think that I think that the experience of what it takes to win this league will eventually rule it. Um, I'm, but I'm not that confident in my statement. I, I think if I have to pick one, I'm going with Juventus. But I would not be surprised if Inter Milan takes this. I also think that... Um, I think that, again... Once, I think March and April are really key months for anybody. And I think specifically when you're an Inter Milan or a Juventus, when you also uh, include yourself in continental competition, things will become a little tougher. And I think Juventus has the experience to overrule that, to make sure that they can last the marathon late. But like I said, I, I'm just about, like you would have asked me this two weeks ago to say Juventus is, is doing this. No, no. But now, like you said, there's a goal different situation. Inter Milan is, in the, is leading the, the race. And uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Antonio Conte's Inter Milan wins it. I still, I think that Juventus will take it. A couple of things I would say here. One, I'm surprised that Juventus lately reminds me a little bit of Barcelona lately, mm. where there's so much over-reliance on one superstar player, Ronaldo and Messi in these cases, that Juventus, in my opinion, has an even better supporting cast maybe than Barcelona does or should, and they're not performing right now. They're yeah. not giving him much support. Yeah. And and that's a real concern. Um, you know, I find it interesting that Juventus actually has the lowest goal difference of any of the top four teams 
in Italy. Yeah. And usually goal difference is a pretty good indicator of how good a team is and overall. And so that's surprising, but also something they have to, to keep in mind. You mentioned European competition. I wonder if Inter is just going to send out a bunch of scrubs for Europa League and save their guys for the domestic league, their top guys. And, and they do have more depth now because they've actually made some purchases of the entire Premier League in the uh, in the January window, it yeah. seemed like. Yeah, no, they could do a Liverpool. I mean, they have Coppa Italia as well. The key, listen, here's the other thing. If we if we have to, the if we come to the discussion that um, in the scheme of the next few weeks, Juventus and Inter Milan end up winning the games that they should be winning, March 1st, Inter Milan at Juventus. I mean, that's the key decider for Serie A, right? So, uh, but I agree. I think Conte has a lot of thinking to do in terms of a rotational policy and, and what he's going to prioritize. No doubt, Scudetto is the number one priority. No doubt. Yeah, I, it's suddenly Italy has as good a race as Germany. By the way, Lazio is one point behind. Right. So we can't like, and they have the best striker in Europe. So and if they hadn't dropped, well. One of them. One of them. <laughs> Statistically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But like we told you, we weren't gonna forget you, Chira. <laughs> we were gonna say it every weekend. <laughs> you know what, though? I mean, like if they hadn't, if Lazio hadn't dropped two points midweek, they'd be in first place themselves. I know. It's so funny how these other teams that keep pushing and pushing sometimes shoot them, themselves in the foot. So in Germany, Leipzig, in the end, that's a good result for them to get a point at Bayern Munich, even though Timo Werner missed probably the best chance of the game. Yeah. Um, and for me. In, in, because I'm a North American homer, uh, it was pretty cool to see Alfonso Davies taking on Tyler Adams. Oh, my God. First of all, you know how, how much I value Tyler Adams. I think he's my, he's my favorite player in the U.S. men's national team. I just think he's got the smartest soccer brain. Um, he, he just sees the game so well, defensively, offensively. Alfonso Davies he's is, good. is an absolute revelation. That that That... Uh, that play where he came back to pick up the ball, that was unbelievable. His speed is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I know some statistics were done after the game, et cetera. I just, his acceleration and just his ability. I mean, that's why he suits Barnes so well, because he can basically cover that entire wing by himself. And the fact that he's still very young, and still adapting to Europe is is unbelievable. I, his ceiling is so high. It's, you know, it was it was so great to watch him play in this game. I mean, and you know, as as entertaining as Inter Milan and AC Milan was in terms of goals and everything, even though this was nil nil, this was an entertaining it game. It was. It was um, good. Bayern Munich, I thought, um, in the first half, you know, claimed the majority of the game, but then Leipzig, like you said, with Werner had the best chances and really made use of its counter-attacking system in many times and they probably should have come away. But like uh, Hans-Dieter Flick said at the end of the game that I think both teams are probably happy with this point. Bayern, because of Dortmund's loss, stays top of the table and Leipzig gets a point away from home at Bayern Munich. Yeah, and, and Bayern leads the league but only by one over Leipzig. Dortmund real missed opportunity this weekend, up 3-2 at Leverkusen, give up two late goals and come away with no points. Erling Haaland, you mentioned no goals this weekend uh, for the big guy. And if you look at the last five games for Dortmund, here are the scores. 4-3, 3-2, 5-0, 5-1, 5-3. The last two of those are losses, including a, a loss to a bad Werder Bremen team 
to knock him out of the cup. Which is a big narrative for the Bundesliga, I think. Uh, they're so good creatively from an offensive standpoint, but they're, they're vulnerable. You know, we talked about this. I mean, you know, um, Dortmund has conceded, you know, 32 goals in the league. You know, that that's a lot if you're trying to win this the title. Um, that's why I don't think they can win it. No. And uh, it's tight, granted, but I think that their vulnerabilities at the back will eventually become the, the obstacle for them not winning the title. So here's my question for you is, is it just about Dortmund's back line not being good or is the way they attack part of their issue defensively? Yeah, I think that's a great question and I think that's the answer. The problem is when Borussia, when Borussia Dortmund has the ball, they commit so many people forward. Jaden Sancho is not the only attacking. Royce is not. Haaland is one of five people inside the box, which makes them such exciting to watch, which is why you get these five goal games. The problem is when you're a smart team in the Bundesliga, or at least one for a, a specific period of time, you can capitalize on that from specifically from two situations. One, when you immediately get the ball back, or two, from set pieces. And that's what teams have been doing. I mean, it, it, and the, the problem is that the midfield, the Borussia Dortmund's midfield, doesn't have enough of a defensive protection to cover. And so when you commit so many people forward, you, you're, you're basically asking the other team to score. And that's what happens. And that's what happened this past weekend. On one of those late Leverkusen goals, the back line, the center backs for Dortmund were so out of position. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was just shocking. It's that, like a FIFA game. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, we should mention Gio Reyna here because midweek last week, he had one of the best goals ever by an American in Europe. It happened to be his first goal ever as a pro for Dortmund. Um, pretty great. It was such a good goal. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I don't think he had that in him. <laughs> I I mean, I know that he's talented, obviously, but we haven't seen enough. But to be honest, that my comment says more about the fact that let's let's give him time to breathe and develop and grow. And he is, wow, that was a great goal. He completely fooled the opponent, took it from one foot to his weak, and then he just curled it past the keeper in the top right corner. It was just beautiful. He's 17 years old. It's unbelievable. I mean... No, I mean, 17. I mean, and the Bundesliga is a perfect place for him. Uh, Dortmund's going to nurture him well. I mean, you know, obviously we remember your great project with Planet Football when you went to Germany to expose this, but it, it, more and so, and it's not, it's it's such a good league for young Americans. I think for, you know, it's, it's also young South Americans. Why young Ezekiel, anybody. Yeah, Ezekiel Palacios. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't matter where you're from. But the trend seems to be that there's a good, solid, strong relationship between young male American players and the league, and it's working. You know what was funny after that goal, which got play around the world? Uh, there's articles I saw saying, ooh, Gio Reyna, he's eligible to play for Argentina, England, Portugal, and the United States. As if, clearly they didn't ask him. This kid has always played for the U.S. His parents both played for the U.S. national teams. His dad's one of the top five players in the U.S. ever, in my opinion. I don't think there's any concern no, that Gio no. Reyna is going to play for Portugal. He doesn't have a world map in his room and he's doing a dart. That's not what's happening. He's playing for the U.S., it's <laughs> obvious. Uh, like you said, he's got a strong history with the country and his parents for crying out loud. Uh, but yeah, what a talent. 17. Yeah. Uh, 
please stay in the league as, as long as you can. Don't don't do silly moves because I feel like the What hype, are you worried about? I worry about that. I don't know. 17, so he's young. So even if he stayed there for like five years, he's still going to be like you know, 22 years He old, came so out at halftime over the weekend and, and was at fault for a disallowed goal uh, for Dortmund in the game. He's not going to be perfect. He's 17. He also hit the post, uh, deflected shot in this he game. He moves really Ferguson. well. But the fact he, that he came out at halftime, that says something right No, there. he moves really well too, goal aside. Uh, he's very uh, versatile. Yeah. I think uh, there, there's many positions that you can see him play. It. I don't know. I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for his family. Um, and, uh, you know, it can only go up for him. Uh, Spain, this weekend, Bar- it's another one. It seems like every weekend we say this Barcelona and Real Madrid both win sort of not totally convincingly. Real Madrid went down 1 0 in this game against Osasuna and ended up winning comfortably. Uh, Barcelona had to come from behind as well. Uh, to beat Betis. That was a fun game too. And uh, and so basically they hold serve. Yeah. Um, I watched the Barcelona-Real Betis game and it was, again, it was another halftime talk where they needed to wake up a little bit. Um, Real Betis, especially with Fakir, just, you know, completely, I think they took advantage of the of the home crowd, you know, being behind them, took advantage of, of exploiting um the midfield, Arturo Vidal, um, you know, gave away the ball a couple of times, which allowed Real Betis to really get into this game. But this was another um, example of, of of why Messi's Messi. He became such an architect. I mean, that first goal where um, De Jong oh, p- picks up the ball, drives through the middle, gives it. You know, Messi ends up with the ball, sees the run all the way into the box, delivers a beautiful ball in, chest, uh, and score. Um, and it wasn't the only one. Uh, he assisted the winner in the end as well on the free kick with Lenglet. So, you know, I think it was another example where Barcelona relies so much on him. It, it's just, it, it really will be interesting to see the future of Barcelona when Lionel Messi eventually, you know, uh, whether retires or whatever. But... Is it unfair for me to say that this season I've been disappointed with De Jong for the most part? No, I think it's true. And I'd like to see more of what we saw this weekend. Yeah, I think it's true. I think part of it, you know, he's he's young. He's still adapting. Um, let's not forget this is his first full season in La Liga. I think that says a lot. Um, and also the inconsistency of, you know, Valverde for a while was trying to figure it all out. Do I put De Jong... Uh, Rakitic sits. Do I? Who do I put that can protect and both complement Busquets? And he kind of figured that one out for a long time. And I think Kike Setien is a big fan of the young. And I think I think next season you'll see a much more confident uh, the young. I think it can't be. There was a really great article in El País last week about the internal problems that are going on in the Barcelona dressing room. And I think we should you, talk about this. Yeah, and I think when you're a young player especially not a Spanish one, entering a new league, it affects you. Um, apologies for not remembering the writer of El País. Uh, our friend Jaime Macias uh, quoted it on Twitter. I really recommend it. It's a real internal look at what's going on in the dressing room. And th- the main concept of the conversation is the fact that there is no <laughs> chemistry right now. There's no cohesion. Um, you have three captains in Sergio Roberto Pique. Uh, four, sorry, Busi and Busquets and Messi, and none of them are, are really sinking at the moment or trying to get their message across. 
Um, obviously, the Eric Abidal, com- you know, comments were not helpful and Messi, when he speaks, well, That's what I speaks. wanted to talk about, like, yeah. is Messi coming out on his Instagram midweek with a total smackdown on Eric Abidal, uh, Barcelona sporting director. Now, Abidal had come out and said in the public interview that uh, certain players contributed to Valverde's firing and he didn't name these players. And right. and so, you know, he said that certain players weren't playing their fullest, basically. And so Messi just, you know, thunderbolts from the heavens, also known as his Instagram, <laughs> says... Uh, you know, how can you not specify which players because now you're tarnishing all the players. Um, and a lot's been made of this, I guess, fact that Messi at the end of this season could just walk away in his contract. Do we know that's totally accurate? Yeah, uh, I think he can. Um, I believe Jonathan Wilson has a piece for us coming out today as we speak actually um that can maybe go into it but the reality is it's not gonna happen i don't i don't see him leaving no um he he won't he's not leaving definitely not this at the end of this season for sure um but the biggest takeaway from everything that's going on right now is that there there is a real lack of team cohesion and understanding it's not it's not that they don't like each other it's that we are looking for leaders Messi only speaks when he fe- like you know when he speaks everybody listens but he's he's by nature a quiet person. Oh yeah. Um, PK reportedly you know as as respected as he is in the team is is so much of a prankster and a clown in the in the dressing room that li- listening to him is not as 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 effective. Busquets is equally as quiet and Sergio Roberto hasn't really earned the 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 experience to really discuss. Now when you couple that with Valverde's exit and then a new manager coming in, then you're one of your directors of football criticizing basically what's going on in the dressing room. You have a real issue when it comes to what is the message that you're all taking out together, both to the fans and, and to yourselves. And, and you can see it. You can see it. But before the Real Betis game, you know, before kickoff, you know, there was the huddle, as you obviously see, and you, the only person that was talking was Messi, and every single person was listening. So make that of what you will. But there's a lot that needs to be fixed, improved, uh, bandaged in the summer in order for Barcelona to, to move on because uh, there's many issues, and, and, and one of them is, is of course, Messi's future. But I, I believe he's, 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 he's going to stay, and that's what I believe. But... Um, that that's not the only problem. I think the dysfunction at the club level for Barcelona has an impact on the players, yeah, as well, and the uncertainty. And so, it's not so much exactly what Messi said, but for him to go public like that, there must be so much happening on the inside. Because you're right, he doesn't speak. He doesn't speak a lot. He, the only other time I can really remember when he did something like this was with the Argentine national team, calling yeah. them out. And he was suspended for it, uh, but he felt... Yeah, and that's what... When Messi speaks when he feels it needs to be said. Right. When it's at its most important. And this, I feel, was one of them. Uh, He was protecting his dressing room, and then Jordi Alba backed him up as well, saying, you know, um, Eric... He said, Jordi Alba said, Eric Abadal was a player here. He should understand, like, 
what it takes and, and the struggles sometimes when you're in that dressing room. So not all is well at Barcelona, that's for sure. They're trying to fix it. I wouldn't uh, necessarily think that it's completely broken, but things need to be fixed and they need to be fixed fast. We should mention here in context, both Barcelona and Real Madrid went out midweek in the Copa del Rey. Yeah, which, by the way, FA Cup, a few lessons from Copa del Rey. Yeah. By the way, this season, Copa del Rey made a few changes where the lower-seeded team will host the game until the semifinals when it's a two-legged uh, fixture and then the finals are neutral. And, you you know, the results have, have happened. You have, uh, you know, some, some some good results for the lower teams, of course, not for Barcelona. I Real think Madrid. it's the first time in a decade that neither Barcelona nor Real Madrid will be in the semifinals. Uh, Mirandes, second division Mirandes, by the way, is. Amazing. In the semifinals. I so. want an old Basque final, personally. But we'll see. <laughs> So let's go to England very briefly here because there weren't many games, but I criticized the hiring of Carlo Ancelotti by Everton midseason and felt like, as honestly a lot of people did, that one, this wasn't a great fit uh, for what Carlo Ancelotti does best, which in the past has been to take star-filled teams and, and get them performing. Um and also because it seemed like, I mean, for being honest here, Ancelotti's career was basically nosediving over the last several years. Yep, I'm with you. We had this discussion, and I also questioned it, and I tweeted actually saying I apologize. Yeah. I mean, the season's not over, right? But you know, like you said, exactly what you said. My biggest issue with the appointment was uh, there was no proof that Ancelotti could go to a team that was, by the way, struggling at the time struggling around the relegation zone um, that somebody like Ancelotti could come to a team like Everton and, and transform it because obviously his biggest uh, strength when you look at his resume is making really good players great or making sleeping giants wake up, etc. But never a team like this that needed so much more. And what I've seen... And the results don't lie, uh, undefeated in five. So, yeah, they've got at the last uh, 15 possible points in the league, they've gotten 11, uh, which is pretty great. Three to one win against Palace over the weekend. Seventh when, place. When Ancelotti took over, I believe that win, that one nothing win, which was also against Crystal Palace, I think it was his first game, took him to 13th. And now, look, he's, he's, he's realistically thinking European qualification. I Even top four. Absolutely. And, but, I watched this game, and from and what I saw was there was a much better understanding from their big-time players on what they need to do. Richarlison looks way more confident. Right. Bernard, as well, looks much better. Yerry Mina looks exactly what you wanted him to be, and he's made Goodison Park a fortress, which is honestly the most important thing. And I love that every comment Ancelotti said after the game was like, we weren't good for 60 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know he's always looking for that. For that, he's a very he's a real he's a realist, but at the same time, he expects everything he wants out of his players. And you know Everton has a good squad. That was so shocking many times when Marco Silva couldn't get it together because this is a group of very talented players. And Ancelotti seems to be doing the right thing, and I commend him for that. I'm happy for Everton fans. Couple things here. One, Ancelotti is best known for his success in Champions League, not in domestic leagues, and right. so that's another thing that he's doing here in the league. Uh, but, and by the way, Napoli has fallen even further since he left in the league. Yeah. Um, but 
I also think of a couple of things that were kind of amusing this weekend. One was the uh, Walcott goes out in the first half and he's bringing his guy and he, his socks. Not, oh my god, Sedebe! His socks oh not on, and, they, and, and the look of exasperation on Ancelotti's face was the best. You do not do this when you when your manager Ancelotti. <laughs> for those who didn't see, Jibril uh, Sedebe was about to come on for Theo Walcott, and so he's ready. He's like, you know, he's about to come on, and he really. And the fourth linesman says, the fourth official says, you don't have one of your socks on, <laughs> and that's against regulation doesn't matter what you want to do. And he realized, oh, yeah, I don't have a sock on. So he had to run back and put his sock on. And Ancelotti was ready to kill him. And then if you're Marco Silva watching, is he watching these Everton games in like, oh, boy. Like, is I'm he like sure. rooting for them to not do well because it makes him look better? Or is he watching their <laughs> games at all? Maybe a little bit of both. I'm not sure. <laughs> Does he hate watching Yeah. Them? Listen, Everton's biggest problem at the beginning of the season was disorganization yeah. and the fact that they just couldn't put two passes together, especially in the final third, and they were conceding. Ancelotti has fixed both those things. Now, let's take this with a little pinch of salt. It was Crystal Palace, who hasn't won a game since Boxing Day. Wow. So, um, that says a lot because it's not like Everton. But like you said, 11 points from the from a possible 15, it says a lot. Uh, let's go to North America. Uh, U.S. women's national team, not surprisingly, but still impressively, heading to the Olympics. Didn't give up a goal in the entire CONCACAF qualifying tournament. I wrote a column from out in L.A. after the semifinal game when they qualified, wondering if Rose Lavelle can become the world's best player. And... Basically, my feeling is, yes, she can. She's not there yet, but the ingredients are there. And and this come that came after a game in the semifinal where in the first half, she was absolutely magnificent. She's a tremendous talent. And at 24 years old, again, the ceiling is high. What um, I'm, I'm very curious on was, is her role changing with Andonovsky, do you think? Or is it? That attacking number 10 that just... Because her goal was classic Rose Lavelle in many ways. Similar to the goal she scored in the World Cup final yeah. where she's just bursting through the midfield at speed on the ball, cuts to create space for her shot, and then just rifles it past the keeper. So I believe Andonovsky is just basically reinforcing what she's good at, which is like, you have the ball, you go. You go at them. You like unleash your... Uh, dribbling attacking prowess and just you know and you see the space and, and go for it and it's that's a very important weapon for the u.s as if the u.s women's national team didn't have enough weapons rose level now becomes that and like you said i mean i, I agree it was a great column and i think that she definitely has everything in her to be the best player on the planet she does but she admittedly says like in the second half of that same semi-final she's like i i kind of disappeared now granted there were already up in that game but still she has this tendency and in the final she played but didn't really stand out much so granted the canadians came out with a pretty defensive outlook five on the back um but you know the reason why i say that lavelle's not there yet is because she isn't she can kind of go in and out of games a yeah. little bit, which as a midfielder, I think it's one thing if you're a striker doing that, but if you're a midfielder, that's tough yeah. uh, on your team. And then I think she needs to do a lot more at club level. You can't be the best player in the world if you're not the best player in your club. League. Right. And, and she's not that, and she hasn't really been close to that in the past. So I think for her, 
have a great Olympics. That's where you're going to really make your mark in a big international tournament. But have a good club season, too. Yeah. And, you know, she's uh, the unquestioned star now uh, for the Washington Spirit now that malapu has been traded. But if you're going to take the leap, you got to do it at club level, too. Yeah, it's a big year for her. And at 24, she has a, the time to do it. Yeah, and, that, and that's interesting to me as well, because when I was talking to other people about Rose Lavelle and can she become the world's best player, I was talking to Megan Rapino, I was talking to Vladko Andonovsky, and they used words like uh, upside, potential, and I get it, but Rose Lavelle also turns 25 in May. And so once you turn 25, I think potential and upside start to fade away a little bit. Yeah, we used to talk about the peak which used to be 27, 28, but yeah, I think the moment you're reaching the, 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 the years that are closing into your 30, 25 and onwards, that's when you are really should be demonstrating what, what you can do. Um, but it's a big year for her. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, She Believes Cup, the Olympics, like you said, club competition. I think when you're in a non-World Cup year, but you have a tremendous amount of opportunity to show what you can do, especially in a position like Rose Lavelle's, as you said, like you always have to be involved, always, the entire time, then it, it's going to be important. And a major part of that is her ongoing relationship with Julie Ertz and how she protects the ability for her to keep going forward. Uh, so, yeah, it should be interesting what happens as 2020 keeps moving. Uh, Kristen Press, we mentioned earlier, golden ball winner, uh, best goal of the tournament. What a goal. And <laughs> playing with a ton of confidence. She had a 6 game goal scoring streak that was snapped in the final she had a couple of chances and in in, hit the post with one or hit the crossbar um, but just clearly as a player playing with a lot of confidence and, and I think the question is can she keep that up and she believes against better competition well the thing about Kristen Press was in, at the World Cup Obviously, she had she would feature more as a last 20-minute kind of player, and you can tell that she hasn't forgotten that. She's ready to be a starter, and she is so talented. And the problem with her sometimes was not necessarily what she did when she had the ball, but what she does when she doesn't have it. So being able to be disciplined enough to come back and protect her left back, etc. But she is just She's got the eye of the tiger. She's ready to really prove to Andonovsky that I'm a starter. I mean, we've talked so much about Carly Lloyd and about this is my time to take, uh, you know, over with Alex Morgan's pregnancy just for these few months. Obviously, Lynn Williams is, is, a, is, a, is a person to discuss. But Kristen Press, you, every single time she had the ball, she's like, I want to do something special here. And uh, that goal she scored, um, when was it? On Friday night was unbelievable. Yeah, the dink. Um, and actually, I, I, it's funny because she had more than one amazing goal in this tournament because she had that yeah, one exactly. from, from distance in the group stage. Um, so very curious to see if she can leap into being a a kind of a first-team starter when yep. the games are, you know, matter most. Um, All good problems for Andonovsky. <laughs> yeah, no, he's got to be feeling pretty good right now. He had his first big game, um, the qualifying game. Came through with flying colors. Um, other big news, U.S. soccer, Jay Burhalter, uh, chief commercial officer, leaving the Federation after a long time there. For many, many years, he was the heir apparent to the CEO position. Actually w functioned as the CEO for a few years when Dan Flynn had health issues. Uh, Jay Burhalter did a lot for the Federation. There's no denying that. Um, and he... Uh, 
saw over oversaw the uh, the Copa America 2016, which was very lucrative, done on short notice. Um, nobody questions that I talked to covering this federation that Jay Berhalter got a lot of big things done, uh, and that he was a big part of the strategy of the federation. Uh, actually, over time, so- oversaw a lot of the soccer side, not just the commercial side. That started to change at least in a formal sense when his brother Greg became the national team coach. U.S. soccer sort of bent over backwards to try and, and emphasize that uh, Greg was not part of the selection process, but uh, the Jay wasn't part of the selection process. But if he had become the CEO, you could not escape that the person who would be in charge of hiring and firing his brother would report to Jay Burhalter. Yeah. And that was just an untenable, you could not have that. It's an internal conflict, structural, that you just couldn't have. And it's not just that. You know, last June during the the Women's World Cup, the New York Times had a story where people who worked for Jay Burhalter described the the workplace culture as being bad at US soccer. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. I think, honestly, once that story came out, that sealed Jay Berhalter's fate that he was not going to become the CEO. I ended up reporting midweek last week that he was not a candidate out of the frame for the CEO spot. And you know, a day, two days later, uh, U.S. Soccer announces that he's leaving at the end of February. So that suggests that they may be finally close to announcing a CEO. Um the annual general meeting is this weekend for U.S. soccer. I'm curious to see if they may have an approval process. I'll try and work the phones this week, see who it might be. Um, but uh, that's going to be an interesting one to follow. I think it's accurate to use the term embattled to call uh, to describe the U.S. Soccer Federation and, and the inability to hire a CEO for so long has been a major part of that. Uh, not the only one, obviously. But um, other off-the-field news this week uh, MLS got a CBA deal done with time to spare before the start of the season. They're not going to take it down to the last second. There's not going to be a work stoppage. And unlike five years ago, I feel like in this situation that the that both sides feel pretty good about things and have a, a right to feel pretty good about things. Yeah, I agree. And this, by the way, was you could say that it was the most important CBA conversation just because of the way the league is going. We're reaching it's, you know, we're about to begin the 25th anniversary. Uh, You know, the league is growing both in teams, but also from a commercial standpoint, uh, strengthening its relationship with Liga MX. And obviously, you know, uh, just with everything that's going on, it was very important for the league and the players to to come to some sort of agreement. And I believe that from what we've taken out of this, um, they come happy. I mean, you know, some of the major key factors that players wanted um, are, are part of the deal. You know, they wanted, uh, you know, the reduced number of commercial flights when, you know, and, and the increase of charter flights to make sure that players travel in the right way, especially when you're going across the country. Um, I believe that, you know, money is obviously a big factor, so th- there will be you know, more of an opening bargaining when it comes to the contract negotiations and how much they're going to get paid uh, in particular. TAM, I believe, you know, at least the reduction of it um, 
wasn't part of it, I think, and and players, you know, that's something that they wanted. But the overall concept is like players, both financially, geographically, and what they wanted to do when it comes to travel and uh, taking care of their contracts has been improved. And they got uh, greater internal free agency in the league. Correct. For, yeah. uh, younger players, not just 28 being the cutoff anymore. It's 24, age 24. Um, so the feeling five years ago, even as soon as the deal got done right before the start of that season, was that the players had gotten rolled. And that was only sort of emphasized even more as time went on and the league sort of unilaterally introduced all this extra spending in TAM that wouldn't go to the rank and file players. And you're not seeing that this time. Now, the league still uh, has a tremendous amount of power, but I just feel like for the players and their leader, Bob Foose, this is a better situation than five years ago. Uh, they also have this big broadcast rights deal coming after 22, and that's going to be in the time span of this deal. And so they're going to get a percentage, the players, of whatever that deal is. So uh, that makes sense. Uh, as well. So uh, I like the fact that we're not going to have to worry about whether the season's going to start or whether the teams are going to even play for CONCACAF Champions League, which starts next week. Yeah, no, you have to give credit. I mean, this needed to be done quick. And as you said, if we're talking about the league starting at the beginning of March, but like you said, CONCACAF Champions League begins next week. So, you know, things needed to get moving. There were a lot of off, there was a lot of off-the-field news, as you can tell, last week. Uh, in the NWSL, CBS, I reported, gets the broadcast rights uh, for that league, which is really interesting because CBS apparently hasn't done soccer since like the 1960s. They did NASL. And if anyone can track down those broadcasts, I'd love to see those. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but they already got UEFA Champions League. Which is like, hello. <laughs> Came out of nowhere, nowhere to get UEFA Champions League. When we were at Soccer X uh, in Miami a couple months ago, that was the big thing that most people were talking about was, whoa, did you see CBS? They came out of nowhere. Nobody even thought they had a chance at Champions League. Yeah. And sources are telling me that, uh, have told me that, you know, they're, they're a little, you know, I can't believe we got this kind of thing. <laughs> But I think there's a lot more to learn I, I, about how this is going to work or who is this person at CBS who wants to get all these soccer rights, but they've got UEFA Champions League starting in 21-22. They'll take over for uh, Turner uh, BR, which frankly hasn't done a very good job, uh, even though I love people in the studio show. I just feel like over the overall product, not great. And I think part the biggest issue is producers there who weren't soccer people who thought they could reinvent the wheel. And so I say to CBS right now, don't try and reinvent the wheel on soccer coverage. Do what NBC did. Cover the soccer, treat it with respect, and people will like that. Amen. If it, This is not... Rocket science. Rocket science. It's like... Right. It's like Leonardo da Vinci said, man, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Just keep it simple and right. understand that the most important product, which is the sport, just needs to be nurtured and growth, and you don't need to add any more bells and whistles. Cover it the way you cover any other sport. Like, that's what I've always tried to say. For any yeah. American boss out there, TV, editors, whatever, just cover it the way you would cover any other sport. You don't need to explain the rules. You don't need to, like, jazz it up. You don't need to pervert it. You can tell I'm getting worked up here. No, but I'm with you, though. The, the, it's good. the thing is, the biggest obstacle, or at least the biggest question mark for networks is they think that um, 
we need to modernize it or revamp it for the sake of the audience. It's not about that. It's more about the distribution and how you package it serving the sport itself. An audience on Twitter is, uh, when they're watching a game, needs the required same detailed attention of the sport as much as when it's watching it on TV. You don't need to, you know highlighted with with so many fancy things in order to because you think it's a different type of audience it's a different concept but like you said treat it like you would treat it any other sport and you'll be fine and we'll get an idea pretty quickly here this season of how cbs does nwsl now are they going to do it the same way they'll do champions league i don't know but um you know i I think for nwsl this looks like it's going to be a good deal no official announcement yet so we don't know exactly how many games are going to be on big cbs over the air but some are, and that's really good for NWSL. Uh, and then the CBS Sports All Access Package, which I guess we're going to have to get now if it's going to have yeah. NWSL and Champions League before long. Are we going to get Tony Romo during the Champions League final? Is that what's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> if that happens, <laughs> then we have the answer to how they're going to approach this. Um, but... <laughs> I, I love Tony Romo, but come on now. But like, it's it's just interesting to see. It's almost as if there's so many different channels and networks that carry soccer in America now. It's like, you know, certain ones sort of set the stage. You know, for the longest time, you know, ESPN was the first one to actually really take a World Cup seriously, and now and then they lost the rights to the World Cup to Fox after ESPN had kind of built it up, and then Fox were the ones who sort of, you know, with Fox. Sports World, Fox Soccer Channel had the Premier League, had yep. Italy, had all those leagues, and sort of show that it could work. And then they lost a lot of those. Yep. Um, and so now you've got, you know, Turner doing Champions League and CBS and and NBC and and in the big picture for fans, it's it's overall a good thing. This is one of the best countries in the world in which to watch soccer now. Now, I would prefer not to have too many additional paywalls up so that you have to subscribe to all these different places to to get soccer. Hopefully, they'll keep it simple. You know, we talked about how NBC does it. Also, the way that two then at Dead Universe uh, is doing Champions League and continues to do it is also mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. Um, so that that's something. So a lot of research, a lot of work, but just keep it simple. Yep. And on that note, thanks, man. This has been fun. Let's do it thanks, again next thanks, week. Thanks, brother. I'm, I'm excited for the next one where we'll be the day before the Champions League returns. If I had musical talent right now, <laughs> I would do the Champions League anthem. But the I... Champions! Is that it? That was it. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>